<coughs> excuse me. Today is Palm Sunday, a time that celebrates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the beginning of Passion Week. What is remarkable about the triumphal entry is Christ's humility. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, the call to worship this morning said this, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What we are to behold is the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ expressed in his being mounted on a donkey. What I want to focus on this morning is that the, this act of humility was not a one-off expression that Jesus gave a token nod to the importance of humility, but rather is an expression of a consistent mind and attitude that Jesus displayed throughout the entirety of his life. If we were to sum up his life, certainly the word humble would be an appropriate epitaph for the Lord Jesus. We live in a world where success is measured by achievement and position. And as such, humility is not prized. In fact, it often is looked down upon. We appreciate people that promote themselves, that exalt themselves, that speak of their achievements and of their confidence. But we have been in a passage that exhorts us to live our lives not for self-aggrandizement, but rather for the benefit of others and the glory of God. In Philippians 2, in starting with verse 1, where we were last week, it said, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in one full accord and of one mind. That mind is then characterized by doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There are two contrasting mindsets that one can have. <coughs> one mindset is selfish, the other is to be selfless. One mindset is to be self-centered. The other mindset is to be God-centered and other-centered. The supreme example of the kind of mind that we are to have is displayed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. After having said that we are to be of one mind, now the, the Apostle Paul is going to give us a supreme example of what that one mind is to look like. And that is, it's to be the mind of Christ the kind of mind that Jesus demonstrated. Philippians 2.5. It's the key verse for the passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or as the NASB translates it, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Or the King James, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this morning we want to look at what kind of mind did Jesus actually have. 
What was that mindset that we are to emulate? What is it that we are to share in our worship of Jesus that we are trying to be like him? Well, first, Jesus Christ had the mindset of a servant, and so should we. He had a mindset of a servant, and so should we. In Philippians 2.6, it states this, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but making him emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So the key thought is that he took the form of a servant. But in this passage, we need to see the background to his taking the form of a servant. And it begins by noting that Christ, the Word, had an exalted position in his pre-incarnate state. Verse 6 begins by talking about the time before Jesus was born. Before Jesus was ever born, in verse 6, he existed in the form of God. The Son of God was the second person of the Trinity, the creator of heavens and earth. Being in the form of God be, means being in the very nature of God. It means that in his essence, in his being, he was actually God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But He existed in the very essence of being God. However, Jesus Christ did not hold on to that exalted position position in a tight-fisted manner. He did not cling to it, but rather he was willing to relinquish it. Notice it says in verse 6 that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Equality with God here means sameness with God the Father. In the context, it's referring to the rights, privileges associated with being God. He was worshipped. He was served. He had an ultimate position of prominence. He was over all things. But Christ did not value or desire that prominence to such a degree that he held on it with a tight fist. But rather, he was willing to relinquish it. Notice at the end of verse 6 that though he was in the form of God not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead of worshipped he would now be unappreciated. Instead of praised he would now be reviled. Instead of submitted to now he would be resisted. Instead of praised he would be insulted. Instead of exalted he would be disgraced. He was willing to give all of that up. It's kind of a, a conundrum that Satan wanted desperately to be like God. Not in God's character, 
but in God's position. He wanted that exaltation to be in the very place of God. And that's what motivated Satan's rebellion against God. Isaiah chapter 14 says this, How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I will be above the clouds. I will be like God. That was at the motivating thrust of Satan's rebellion. And at the motivating thrust of Adam and Eve's rebellion was that Satan told them that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You don't have to be like a man. You can be like God. And so in their desperation, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and of course they were deceived. They were deceived. And they did not have this high and exalted position, but rather they now suffered sin and death. But Satan, desperately wanting this position of authority and might and power and dominion, and Satan and Adam and Eve, who desperately wanted this position of God, conversely, the Son of God did not see that as something to be held on to. He did not see that as something to be relished above all things, but rather was willing to divest himself of it. Instead of clinging to the trappings, if you will, of his position, Christ divested himself of the privileges associated with his deity. Notice verse 7. It says, but emptied himself. Emptied himself. NIV translates it, but made himself nothing. The Son of God did not decide to stop being God. But rather, he decided to stop being treated as God. He was God. He still is God. He will always be God. But the Son of God decided that he would not be treated as God. He would stop being worshipped. He would stop being served and take the form of a servant. So, Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, took the position of a servant. Notice verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of or position of, of a servant. And the way that he did that was by becoming a human being. Notice verse 7. But emptying himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. As I said, John 1.14, that word that was preexistent, that word that was with God, that word that was the creator of the heavens and the earth, John 1.14, became flesh, was born of a virgin. 
And so the Son of God took on, in addition to his humanity, deity. In addition to his humanity, deity. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He became a servant. Jesus Christ had a mindset of humble obedience, and that is the mindset that we are to have. Christ humbled himself to take on humanity. But even as a human being, Jesus further humbled himself. Notice verse 8, the progression. And being found in human form. Okay, Now that he is a human being, he humbled himself to become a human being. That's an incredible thought that he would be willing to take on being a human in addition to his deity. But now that he is a human being, it says in verse 8, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Not only did the Son of God humble himself and become a man, but additionally, as a man, he humbled himself further. So not only did he condescend to become a human being, but now as a human being, he's going to become the lowest of human beings. The Creator is going to do without creature comforts. Jesus said that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus took upon himself that was even lower than the creatures that he had made and was willing to do without. Or as Corinthians tells us, that he who was rich became poor for our sakes. The humility that Jesus Christ evidenced was further seen in his obedience. Notice verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. By becoming obedient. Jesus was obedient to the Heavenly Father. In Hebrews 10, 5, 6, and 7, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. He was obedient to his heavenly Father. But think of this, that in that obedience to his heavenly Father, Jesus even became obedient to his earthly parents. In Luke 2.51, it says this, Then he, that is Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, that is his parents, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in his heart. That was after Jesus was found in the temple talking with the Jewish leaders. Do you ever feel like you know more than your parents? Do you ever feel like they're wrong in their discipline? Do you ever chafe at being under their direction, of living under their authority? Can you imagine the Son of God 
becoming a man. And that is a man becoming a child and submitting to and obeying and following the direction of sinful parents with limited understanding. Jesus humbled himself in being obedient. It says we're to have this mind, this mind of humbling ourselves by being obedient to those who have authority over us, starting with Almighty God himself and then all those authorities that he has established in our lives. That uh, obedience extended to the point of death, it tells us in verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. In other words, that he remained obedient to God and to earthly authorities right up to and including dying. He submitted fully to the will of God the Father. And he submitted to the authorities that were established by God. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He came to know and experience what obedience is all about in his suffering. In his obedience, Jesus allowed himself to be beaten. In his obedience, he allowed himself to be mocked. In his obedience, he allowed himself to be ridiculed. You need to remember, this is the Son of God. Last Sunday night, we were in a passage where the ark could not even be touched. And Uzzah died. And here, Jesus is smitten on the cheek. And no one dies. He is humble. He is a servant. He willingly laid down his life. He did not shirk in his obedience, even to the point of death. And then it goes on to say, even further, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and then this, even the death on the cross. What is emphasized here is that not only did Jesus die, but he was willing, he was humble enough, he submitted himself to dying a disgraceful death. He died a disgraceful death. Even the death on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was viewed as cursed. He was viewed as the dregs of the earth. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. 
unless we don't think that meant anything. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. Jesus hung there naked before a crowd who taunted and delighted in his death. He did not die the death of a martyr in the eyes of the people. He died a disgraceful death. Jesus Christ died for sinful mankind. As I said, mankind in its arrogance wanted to be like God. But in his humility, God was willing to become like man. And even as man, as becoming the lowest of men. And it says we are to have that attitude. We are to have that attitude. Why did he do that? Not for himself, but for the sake of others and for the glory of God, which is what Philippians 2, 3, and 4 tells us, that we are to be taking into consideration other people's interests and the glory of God. Now what I want you to see is that Jesus Christ had a mindset that brought glory to himself, but ultimately glory to God, and so should we. As a result of his death, his death in our behalf, God gave Jesus Christ a supreme position because of his humble obedience, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. For such a mindset and demeanor is worthy of exaltation. The nature of that supreme position is described. Philippians 2.9 Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The recognition of that supreme position is described. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And the extent of that supreme position in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And the reality of that supreme position is ascribed. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So now this Jesus, who was humbled by this disgraceful death on the cross, is going to be exalted. Is going to be exalted. He is going to bring mankind to that place of exaltation. Whereas we deserve sin and death, whereas we deserve to be separated from God, now we are going to be exalted along with the Lord Jesus Christ. But lest in our sinful hearts and minds, we don't really grasp the significance of this. Let me just stop and point out that what this text says in verse 11 is, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and now these very important words, to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. 
to the glory of God the Father, not to his glory. That is not what motivated Jesus. It wasn't his glory, it was glory of God the Father. This was not a way for the Son of God to be promoted. This is not a position higher than what he had. He could not increase the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The bowing before him was no greater than the bowing before the Incarnation. He came for the betterment of mankind and the glory of God. Why do I say this? Because we're to have the same mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that mindset was not self-glorification, but rather it is to be for the benefit of others and the exaltation of God. Look with me again at Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do, no, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We, as the people of God, should serve God in such a way that whatever glory comes to us is glory that goes to God. We should serve God in such a way that we make it clear that whatever goodness is found in us, whatever power or strength is evidenced in us, Whatever success is achieved by us, it's because of the work of God in us. He deserves the glory. He is what makes us different from those around us. And our heart's desire ought to be that in whatever we say or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God, right, Corinthians? Do all to the glory of God. So easily said, but harder to do. Let's think about glory for a moment. It says in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. King James says, vain glory. Vain glory. Meaningless glory. Okay? Human praise. Okay? Nothing greater than the praise of God. But I want you to think for a moment, even about the praise of God. One day, Lord willing, we're going to stand before him. And I trust we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And there are going to be crowns. 
And Paul says these crowns are not just for me, but for all those that love his and wait for and look for his appearing. We're going to receive crowns. But you know what is going to be great about those crowns? It's not just the self-aggrandizement. It's not just now is the payday. Okay, now it's great. Finally, you know, we've gone through all the suffering, gone through all the hardship, we've, we've gone through the persecution, we've gone through people's anger at us, and, and now I get to stand there before God and stick out my chest as a crown is put on my head, and I can look at everyone else and say, see? See? I didn't get the praise I deserved on earth, but I got it there. Oh boy. You know. That's still an Adam and Eve mindset. That's still a Satan mindset. I'm going to be like God. He wears a crown, I wear a crown. He's viewed as holy, I'm viewed as holy. He's viewed as righteous, I'm viewed as righteous. He's praised, I'm praised. And I'm going to be exalted. That's not the mindset. That's not what these crowns are about. That's not what service is to produce in our hearts and minds. What do we do with those crowns? Revelation 4.10 says this. The 24 elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And for your pleasure, and by your power, they were created. What we're going to do with those crowns is throw them at Jesus' feet and say, we're not worthy of these. It's you. It's you. You created me. You redeemed me. You sustained me. You forgave me in my unfaithful service. And yet you crowned me with honor and glory. You allowed me to be in your presence. You became a man for me. And as a man, you humbled yourself. The scripture says, let this mind be in you. This mind of humble service. Not wanting to hold on to ingrandizement, achievement, success, or human praise. But willing to take on an attitude of service that says, I'm going to do this for the welfare of others. And ultimately, ultimately, for the honor and glory of God. What does it mean to be like Christ? 
What does it mean to be godly? When have we arrived? When we can have that mind. When we can have that humility. When we can, for the sake of others, for their benefit, and for the glory of God, say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't know who said it, but it's a great quote. And that is, you can get an awful lot done if you don't worry about who gets the credit. You can get an awful lot done in life if you don't worry about the credit. We can achieve great things for God if we're not so concerned about somebody patting us on the back, somebody thanking us, somebody giving us the credit, somebody acknowledging our service. Because there are a lot of times people don't pat us on the back. There's a lot of times people don't acknowledge our service. There's a lot of times people don't appreciate what we've done. And there are a lot of times there's things that just go overlooked. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not why we do it. We do it to serve others. And that's not an end in of itself. Ultimately, we do it because God is worthy of it. We belong to him. And we want to be like him. We want to be like him. And that's the key. We want to be like him. Not just be where he is. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the trappings of glory. It's being with him. And being like him. And that's to be our heart's desire. And when we are like that, we have the mind of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to have the mind of Jesus. To think, oh God, that you would be willing to become a human being. Just, it's the greatest mystery that there is to, this, to the Christian faith. Just the whole aspect of God becoming man. Uh, we can't even get our minds around it. Uh, but Lord, we know it to be true and we are thankful for that great truth. And then to think even as a man to humble yourself, to become obedient not only to death, but the death on the cross, that disgraceful death. In order not for self-aggrandizement, you received nothing. You achieved nothing for yourself in terms of glory. That glory you had before the world created. But you made it possible for us now to share in that glory. You have made it possible that we can be in your presence, welcomed, and even be honored. And yes, even to receive crowns and to be acknowledged for our faithfulness, though limited as it is. But oh God, it's, it's our desire and it will be that day. Lord, help us to understand. Open our, our thinking. Open our eyes to realize how important it will be for us at that time to take these crowns and to cast them at your feet, for we will know that you are worthy. May we not stand before you empty-handed. But, oh God, may we have something to visually demonstrate our love and appreciation for you, our devotedness. Lord, give us enough understanding of heaven 
that it affects our life here on earth. Lord, may it transform our being. May it transform our character. May it transform our way of thinking. May we be different from the world around us, for we are united to Jesus. May we understand that truth. Help us, O God, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.